Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Baker McKenzie's Beating the Competition podcast. My name is Brian Burke, and I'm a partner in the firm's Washington, D.C. office. Today, I'm joined by Luis Gomez, my friend and colleague from our London office. We've worked together for more than 20 years on antitrust matters, and I'm very happy to have him join us today. Welcome, Luis. Thank you very much, Brian. I'm delighted to be on this with you. Great. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the recently abandoned deal between Sabre and Fairlogix, the proposed combination of two providers of airline booking services. As you may know, the United United Kingdom's main competition authority, the Competition Markets Authority, or CMA, blocked the deal in April, shortly after the US GOJ had failed to persuade a US court to do the same. While the substance of the transaction is interesting, and worthy of attention regarding potential competition, the focus of our discussion today will be on the procedural aspects of the matter, particularly the interplay between the US and UK antitrust authorities and the conduct of their respective investigations of the deal. Specifically, we're going to discuss three topics on this deal today with Luis. First, the UK antitrust authority was able to deliver an outcome preventing the transaction that the antitrust division was unable to achieve. The division had sought to enjoin the transaction, but the US court in Delaware ruled against. Just two days later, the CMA published its final report blocking the transaction. Now, this is not the first instance where authorities in different jurisdictions have taken different positions on the same transaction. Perhaps most famously, you may recall the GE Honeywell deal that was cleared with conditions in the United States, but blocked by the EU Commission. Here, though, the U.S. and U.K. antitrust authorities were completely aligned on the substance. They both wanted the proposed combination blocked. One failed and the other succeeded under the review procedures and standards applicable in their respective jurisdictions. The second topic for discussion is the nexus between the target, Fairlogix, a U.S.-focused operation with reportedly no direct sales in the U.K. and the United Kingdom, Did the CMA even have authority to review the proposed transaction? And third, is this case an anomaly or is it the canary in the coal mine, as they say, signaling an increasingly active and aggressive CMA as we move to a post-Brexit world? Before we bring in Luis, let me set the table for our discussion a little bit more. Some comments on timing. The parties entered into the merger agreement in November 2018, a different world for airline booking service providers than today with COVID-19, but that's another topic. The CMA did not initiate its review until June 2019, some seven months later. Once the CMA began its investigation, it's clear from public information that it closely coordinated its review with the antitrust division, which had started its substantive investigation in February 2019. The antitrust division filed its lawsuit to block the deal in August 2019, and the trial began at the end of January 2020, concluding on February 6th. On the very next day, February 7th, the CMA published its provisional findings, the case against the merger, which echoed the division's complaint. The Delaware District Court issued its decision rejecting the DOJ's effort to block the deal on April 7th, 2020. The division filed a notice of appeal on the 8th, And on the 9th, the CMA issued its blocking decision. The parties abandoned the deal on May 1st and have filed an appeal in the UK. 
Meanwhile, the division has filed a motion to have the district court's decision vacated with the Third Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. That is pending. Okay, it's clear that the CMA and division closely collaborated and were completely aligned on the substance. DOJ gets an adverse ruling before the district court, yet the CMA still goes ahead and issues its blocking decision, even in the face of the, of the division's announced intention to appeal. As a practitioner, for longer than I'd like to admit, that's a very unusual set of circumstances. Let's bring in Luis to discuss how we got to this outcome. Luis, let's start with some basics. Could you give a high-level overview of how the UK merger re regime works? Well, Brian, uh, UK merger filings are technically voluntary. And I stress technically because nowadays the voluntary part is a bit of a red herring. The term voluntary implies that parties do not need to notify their mergers and can go ahead and complete without any consequences. That is not the case. What we see in practice is that the CMA proactively hunts for deals to consider, is taking an increasingly expansive approach to jurisdiction. It regularly calls in deals which have not been notified and which it thinks merit follow-up, and it will, as a matter of course, slap whole separate orders on completed deals to prevent further integration while it carries out its review. Now, these orders cause a massive compliance and resources headache for the firms and the individuals involved. In Saberfair logics, it's pretty apparent that the parties did not actively choose to notify the transaction, and yet the CMA actively identified the merger as one that it felt warranted review and likely contacted the parties for information about the deal. So while parties may choose not to notify a merger in the UK, in practice they take a huge risk that the CMA will end up calling in the deal for review. This happens frequently. And obviously, in a worst case scenario, uh, the CMA has the power to order them to unwind the merger. And Saberfair Logics is one example, but another recent example of this is the Toby Smartbox uh, deal. Thanks, Luis. And from reports, it is clear that the parties did not notify until the CMA asked them to do so. Moving on, how about the CMA's approach on substance? In our experience, we are also finding that the substantive review is getting much, much tougher. The chair of the CMA, Lord Tyree, said as much earlier this year in 2020. The CMA is now scrutinizing deals with painstaking intensity. For example, it is not unusual for it to ask parties to carry out document reviews using detailed search methodologies during the phase one review at a level of detail more akin to an in-depth phase two investigation. This is uh, completely different to the US approach where you would only expect that degree of scrutiny during a second request. And as an aside, Brian, during the review process of Saberfair Logics, uh, the CMA fined Sabre £20,000 for failing to respond properly to an information request they had issued. Sabre had wrongfully, uh, as far as the CMA is concerned, withheld documents on the basis of claims of privilege. 
The amount is currently relatively low due to a statutory cap, but there can be repeated breaches and a daily fining rate. So it really does underscore the importance that the CMA attaches to its investigative powers during merger reviews. Yes, and the U.S. has a similar uh, daily fining structure for HSR violations. Moving to authority, in the United States, neither the DOJ nor the FTC have the ability to enjoin or block a deal themselves. They have to seek and obtain an injunction from a district court. Does UK merger review involve any similar adversarial proceeding? No, uh, the UK system is uh, quite different, uh, not unlike many other European jurisdictions or indeed jurisdictions around the world. It is an administrative uh, system. So the CMA has the power to block a merger itself. It carries out the phase one and it also the in-depth phase two investigations, uh, albeit with different case teams at each stage, Although in practice, some phase one case team members will also work on phase two cases in the interest of efficiency. If a party is unhappy with the outcome of the CMA's decision, it can appeal to the Competition Appeal Tribunal, or CAT, which is a specialist court, but only, only, and this is important, on judicial review grounds. It is not a de novo review nor a merits appeal. Uh, the standard of review is high and clearly favors the CMA. We will talk about appeals in a moment, but first it would be interesting to discuss why the CMA looked at this merger, given that Fairlogix apparently does not have a strong UK presence. Indeed, Brian, a, a fascinating topic and one that is at the heart of uh, this case. Now, Provided that a transaction is not notifiable to the European Commission, at least until Brexit uh, happens, in the UK, mergers fall under the CMA's remit if the target's UK turnover is £70 million or more, and or the parties will together supply or purchase 25% or more of goods or services in the UK. These are the jurisdictional thresholds that allow the CMA to investigate. Now, note importantly that the share of supply test relates to any category of goods or services and does not have to be a relevant product market for antitrust purposes. I think it is fair to say that the CMA is taking an extremely flexible approach to the share of supply test. It is like a piece of elastic that can be stretched and molded to capture deals with seemingly no or only a minimal UK nexus. This is clearly what happened in this case. The parties argued that Fairlogix had no UK turnover and does not supply any services to customers that are located in the UK. However, the CMA found that the parties overlapped in the supply of IT solutions that allow UK airlines to provide travel information to travel agents to enable them to make bookings. 
the parties argued that Fairlogix does not have a direct relationship with UK airlines, and its only nexus to the UK is from a customer relationship it has with American Airlines, which has an interline arrangement with British Airways. A small number of tickets, including a British Airways interline segment, were processed through Fairlogix services, and the CMA took the position that this was enough to be captured by the share of supply test. Essentially, a single indirect customer, like BA, was sufficient. The parties argued that Fairlogix only supplies the services directly to non-UK airlines, i.e. American airlines, and that it is not appropriate to treat British Airways as a customer of Fairlogix, as British Airways did not make a procurement decision for the services. The procurement decision was made by American Airlines in the United States. The CMA disagreed with this, finding that there was a clear and active choice by British Airways to enable it to use and receive supply of the Fairlogix services in the context of its interline arrangement with American Airlines, and that British Airways had regard to its competitive alternatives in doing so. Now, clearly, this case is a reminder of just how much discretion the CMA can exercise in applying the share of supply test. Fairlogix does not have any UK turnover and does not supply anything directly to customers located in the UK. Its direct customer is American Airlines, not British Airways. The stretching of the share of supply test to assert jurisdiction where the UK nexus is questionable seems to be a bit of a theme at the moment. In another recent transaction, the Roche-Spark Therapeutics deal, the CMA likewise asserted jurisdiction on the basis of the test, but in relation to a pipeline drug which had not yet been commercialised in the UK or generated any turnover in the UK. The drug was only at the R&D stage in the UK. Indeed, uh, the CMA reformulated the basis for it having jurisdiction in that case, we understand, 19 times. The lesson to be learnt is that the CMA will not shy away from intervening in mergers that are seemingly non-UK centric. Thanks, Luis. Uh, that brings us to the issue of how this aggressive posture by the CMA may be checked. What body has the authority to tell the CMA that its exercise of jurisdiction is improper? Sabre has appealed the CMA decision. How easy is it to successfully appeal an adverse ruling from the CMA in a merger investigation? Well, Brian, unfortunately, the short answer is that it is not easy at all. Appeals from the CMA are taken to the Competition Appeal Tribunal, as I mentioned before, which is a specialist court. The relevant standard on appeal is judicial review, which means that unless the tribunal finds that the CMA has acted irrationally, illegally, or with procedural unfairness, the decision will stand. This includes any challenges to the CMA's assertion of jurisdiction under the share of supply test. 
So it's a really high bar to overcome. There is no merits appeal permitted on the CMA's findings of fact. The CAT will be concerned with the legality of the CMA's decision-making process rather than the merits of the decision. A challenge on the basis of a legal error is arguably easier if a point of law can be clearly identified. The irrationality test refers to a situation where the decision is so unreasonable that no decision maker properly instructed and taking into account all relevant considerations could make. A challenge on the ground of irrationality will effectively involve a challenge to the exercise of discretion by the CMA. As the role of the courts in judicial review proceedings is not to substitute their decision for that of the decision-making body, the threshold for establishing irrationality is high. Now, in this case, we know that Sabre is appealing against the CMA's assertion of jurisdiction under the share of supply test and against the CMA's substantive assessment on the grounds that it has committed errors of law. Sabre is arguing that the CMA's decision is unlawful on the basis that it has not applied the share of supply test correctly, because according to Sabre, the parties' respective services are highly disparate and do not together constitute a single description of services, which is necessary to meet the test. Sabre is also going to argue that by conflating supply of services to an American airline, with a direct supply to British Airways, the CMA has made an error in its approach to the jurisdictional requirement that the parties must together supply goods or services in the UK. Sabre is also claiming that the CMA's substantive assessment is unlawful and irrational. Now, the CAT tends to grant the CMA a high degree of deference. To date, the CAT has not overturned the CMA decision to prohibit a merger, even where it has identified errors, although many years ago the Interbrew Bass decision was set aside with respect to the consideration of appropriate remedies, as the authority had failed to take into account all relevant considerations. Other than that, there have been a couple of successful challenges against merger decisions by the CMA's uh, predecessor, the OFT. The CMA was also found to have acted unreasonably on procedure in Sainsbury's ASDA. This related to the timing of a questionnaire at Christmas. Although the parties were successful on this issue, the deal was still blocked. Bear in mind also that typically, once remitted to the regulator, any errors identified by the CAT can be corrected while the substance will remain unchanged. However, if the CMA keeps pushing the envelope at some point, uh, there may well be a reaction by the CAT. Luis, thanks for that. So it seems under the standard of review that even a questionable exercise of jurisdiction by the CMA receives at least some deference. Oh, absolutely, Brian. I think a huge amount of deference given the nature of the test. Uh, judicial review in the UK is a very high bar to overcome, uh, and the court will exercise huge caution in overturning a decision of an expert regulator. With that, what relief might Sabre be seeking here, 
on appeal, given that they've already abandoned the deal? Well, the, the cap does not have the power to award damages. Um, it would be extremely difficult for Sabre to obtain financial compensation uh, in the event that it successfully appealed, unless the decision-making process had been uh, severely tainted in some way. If the cat finds that all went by the book and Sabre are simply disappointed in the outcome, I'm afraid that this is just a cost of doing business that the courts will not compensate them for. Even if CAP finds the CMA did not have jurisdiction to the review the deal. However, it seems more likely that Sabre's motivation for an appeal is to try to limit the CMA's expansive approach to jurisdiction uh, and the implications that this has for future deal strategy, uh, possibly even revisiting the, the transaction in question. More generally, I think it's worth saying that the CAT can quash the decision and refer it back to the CMA. Indeed, Sabre is specifically asking for the decision to be quashed, uh, though this will not make a huge difference to the merger, clearly, as it has been abandoned. So where does that leave us, Luis? Sabre may secure a victory on appeal that could be used by it, but more importantly, perhaps others, as precedent to prevent the CMA from unreasonably exercising jurisdiction on future deals. Alternatively, a CMA victory on appeal could embolden the CMA and justify the broad assertion of its jurisdiction. What's the takeaway at this point? Well, Brian, I think all eyes are on this appeal. The, the outcome of the appeal will be hugely important, not only for the parties in this case, but indeed for every transaction that uh, will be looked at in the future. One could see this case almost as an attempt by the CMA to flex its muscles and position itself as a strong global enforcer in a post-Brexit world. If the CAT were to find that the CMA's interpretation of the jurisdictional test was flawed, that would have important consequences for CMA decision-making. On the other hand, a rejection of Sabre's appeal by the CAT would represent an affirmation of the CMA's stretching the share of supply test to capture deals with limited or minimal nexus to the UK. Deals that would typically not be voluntarily notified. At the moment, the CMA does not have the power to review large global deals because they typically fall within the jurisdiction of the European Commission. Once the Brexit transition period ends, though, the CMA will be able to review those same deals alongside the EU, the US agencies and other antitrust authorities. For parties to multinational mergers, that means potentially adding an additional merger filing to the mix. And the CMA review process, as I've said, is a painful one. It is lengthy and extremely intensive in terms of the information required to be provided. Now, the CMA estimates a 50% increase in the number of mergers that it will review post-Brexit. This, along with an increasingly interventionist attitude by the CMA, would mean that the UK merger control considerations need to be high on the 
agenda when planning deals, even, it seems, where a merger seems to have limited impact in the UK. We have certainly seen an increasingly aggressive approach by the CMA in the last couple of years. Since 2019, it has blocked five mergers and a further five were abandoned after having been referred to a phase two investigation. This is up from just one prohibition and two abandoned mergers in 2018. Well, Luis, it seems a lot hangs in the balance. We'll be watching on this. Once this is all settled, perhaps you can come back and help us understand where things have shaken out. Thanks again for joining, Luis. With that, we want to thank you all for listening. We hope you found it informative. And know that we at Baker McKenzie wish you, your friends, family, and colleagues all the best as we collectively endure the COVID-19 crisis. Stay safe and keep healthy. Hope to have you join us on the next episode of Baker McKenzie's Beating the Competition podcast.